welcome to a Law Firm Marketing Club podcast. The Law Firm Marketing Club helps professional services firms to do better marketing. Podcasts follow this theme with a mix of long and short podcasts from experts, each either educating and informing, explaining, inspiring, or simply telling us about how they do things, all with the practical goal of helping you to do better marketing. My name is Claire Fanner, and I am your host today. I'm a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Marketing and have established myself as one of the leading legal sector marketing consultants in the UK. I was previously the marketing director for two mid-sized regional law firms. I'm delighted to bring you our latest podcast. Be inspired, learn and get the know-how. This is part two of a conversation I'm having with Lewis Barr, who is the marketing and commercial director at Fretton Solicitors. If you haven't listened to part one, then do take a moment to do so. You'll get some fascinating insights. Uh, amongst other things, Lewis revealed all about his role, what it involves. Um, and he also talked about why it's important for law firm marketers to poke their nose into all facets of the business. Um, and he also shared some words of wisdom that he obtained from Richard Branson, no less. Lewis, in part two, what I'd like to do is start by looking at the role of digital, which I know is another area that is very near and dear to your heart. Um, and I know you've got a huge amount of experience in this area. I think most people understand that digital is here, it's not going anywhere, but it's not necessarily the separate entity it used to be. Many in law firms uh, and indeed beyond in business generally, are still trying to find the right way to blend digital and traditional marketing. So how have you gone about getting digital to fit in a traditional law firm? Um, because whilst Fretton's is a relatively young firm, it is probably still reasonably traditional. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, I think we've, I should probably start with a caveat. We've kind of, there's a culture of trust here that has allowed a lot of this stuff to happen much more quickly than I understand it may have been able to happen elsewhere. So it it starts with, I think the first conversation I had with with Matt when I sort of started in the job was that you're the marketing guy, you tell us what you do, want to do and what you need to make it happen. So if you'll get a marketing budget, what you do with it, that's that's your call. Like I'm a, I'm a lawyer, I'm not going to tell you how to market. So I don't have, I don't have a load of unofficial creative directors, let's say. Yeah. So we have that, and that goes throughout the whole business. That everyone's trusted to do their job as best as they can or how they see fit. But that's all very good, but you just still need to show. So I think I, that, that your ideas are going to work. So, yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I suppose, my, to take it back to the start, my, my background was digital marketing, growing businesses in very different environments, very direct B2C, sort of short lifetime value clients, very much, right, let's say, uh, Let's get a campaign in front of these people. Let's sell to them quickly. Let's move on to the next thing. Grow, grow, grow. And we did a lot of digital stuff through targeted Facebook campaigns, a lot of AdWords, a lot of retargeting, and a little bit of SEO, to be honest, and organic content. So for me, being able to measure everything, that's the, the big advantage of, of, of digital. So we were able to go in and say, I've got this idea. I want to try this. This is what I've done historically. Do a little bit of it, measure it, show that it has worked. And then say, I want to do more of this. And um, that sounds like a really, really basic answer. But ultimately, I think that's that's kind of it. Talk to people, tell them what you want to do, clearly, do it, 
you know, maybe get some low-hanging fruit if you if you can identify those opportunities, get some quick wins in there, gain trust and confidence if it's not there already, and then go again. And if you can show people that, that if you allow me to do this more, we will get more of this stuff, yeah. then, then brilliant. And I mean, I, I think communication, uh, everything we talk about comes down to communication anyway. You know, it pretty much is the heart of absolutely every challenge that, that any business is facing. You know, get people around tables talking to each other in plain English. And we as marketers might bang on for ages about how our job is to try and make lawyers sound accessible and not sound like lawyers and, and speak in plain English. And then, yeah. you know, we then go into a board meeting and we start going ROI, CRM, LTV, CPC, BD, UX, CX. And everyone just looks at you and goes, oh, brilliant, that's coming in. Use plain English to communicate what it is that we're trying to do. Start small and build trust and confidence. Measure everything and display it properly, I guess. So that was kind of our, our journey at the start was that, I spent a long time trying to explain what we were trying to do and how digital fit in. And we, we had a, a quite rapid acceleration in the amount of website traffic we were getting from some social campaigns, a bit of paid search, but mainly from our organic sort of top of funnel content. And that's been our, we very much targeted our, our digital content strategy around information searches and getting content to people as early as possible in their journey, regardless of where they are. So it's not just around the content. That was our strategy. What I was trying to do now, trying to explain that's what I want to do and this is you know, how it's impacting it can be very difficult to people who haven't had any background in marketing whatsoever. As open-minded as, and, and trusting as our partners are, they, they probably if they're going to be asked for a huge increase in budget let's say or to rebuild the website or invest in a crm they're going to want to have an understanding of why you want to do that um so we've got all the the fundamentals in place like call tracking and those sorts of things being able to measure everything through analytics that's all great but ultimately we've been wrestling for about six months with trying to get everybody on board and it was the simplest chart ever overlaid that kind of was that moment of clicking which was there was a, a line going upwards for website traffic, a line going upwards for the number of phone calls to come in and a line going upwards from the amount we were billing. Yeah. And you could lay those over each other over a 12-month period and go, look, it worked. And that was the simplest possible way of doing it, having overthought it for a long period of time. Yeah. And it's almost like there was a moment where, okay, right, we get it, off you go. Yeah. And it's kind of it's taken off from there. So we've, as I mentioned, we've really, really invested in, in content marketing. We have, we have we've brought on an apprentice who's now our content marketer 18 months two years down the line they write along with our solicitors a lot of articles a lot of stuff tied to the people who aren't searching for for solicitors but they're searching for problems that they have mm. give stuff away give free advice bring people into your sort of yeah. orbit and then work on the journey from there so that's kind of the strategy that we've gone with and in a roundabout way how we we got partner buy-in for it you, you have just, in a very succinct and very clear way, kind of given everyone a snapshot of, of digital and how to, to, to get that working if you haven't already and how to get partner buy-in. Because that, firstly, obviously you've got to have that trust bit because if you weren't trusted, you possibly don't get the opportunity. Next bit is, you know, your advice, start small, gain trust and confidence, measure stuff, show it works, do it a little bit, then do more and keep good communications and actually that's not that's really simple when you think like that doesn't it yeah but <laughs> you, you, jobs. You, you just said all that lewis i'm not taking any of the credit for that that is one of the most succinct answers i've ever had to how do you get partner buy-in and i think that's a roadmap we can all take away because actually i think we sometimes overcomplicate it at the end of the day we just need to keep it as simple as possible 
and earn the right to do more of the stuff we believe will work by proving it does work. Yeah, and I think there is a lot of conversations you have with marketers, not just in the legal world, but generally around, you know, oh, they don't understand me. I'm the much maligned marketer in the corner of the room. There is a responsibility on marketers to make ourselves, you know, to to demonstrate that we can make a difference, not just demonstrate it to ourselves and to to our sort of marketing peers, but to other people in the business who are at the moment making the decisions. Yeah, we've got to take responsibility for our role and for earning the right for people to listen to us and earning the right for people to to, to act on our suggestions and so on. So, And with digital, it's so much easier now, isn't it? We've been given the tools to show that you make a difference. So make a difference, show people you make a difference and you know, build that trust, I guess. Yeah, to- totally agree. And and actually that model, it's obviously it's easier to work in the digital space because we can measure it so so accurately. But actually, that model will work offline as well, because your overlaying of graphs that you mentioned earlier, you know, ultimately that will prove whether stuff is working or not. This this ties into the client satisfaction stuff. I know we've spoken about it at length in, in the Law Firm Marketing Club sort of seminars that we've had as well in the away day. But we did a bit of work around, you know, with our, our digital clients that we are winning through that channel are all matter once. Yeah. Yeah, they're all people who've never interacted with the business before yeah. and there's your opportunity right there so provide you offer them a great service and then you can you can improve which we really really need to do improve our below the line marketing or post matter comms yeah. um then you can get more out of that but as it stands at the moment we know that 100 files that we open digitally that are matter ones in one financial year as things stand at the moment that's another 30 matters the following financial year so we start talking about lifetime value of clients and ROI. It's not just campaign ROI for that winning that one client for that one matter. It's what is that client worth to the firm over the next seven, eight, nine, 10, 15, 20 years. I know we're not accountants, so I know we don't open our doors at the start of the year and know that X percentage of people are just going to do their accounts with us next year because they do it every year. But a large percentage of the work that we do is for existing clients or referred by existing clients. In order to grow a business, you've got to get in front of those new people. And that's been the way that we have done it so far. Yeah, you, I, you've just entered, top, touched on a whole other topic that I think I've just scribbled a note to do a session on it at some point, the lifetime client strategy, because I think we're so busy often looking at getting new client, you know, getting people to come and knock on our door, phone us up, whatever, making sure we've got the service right, obviously getting feedback from existing clients. But we we, we and many other businesses, so this is not exclusive to law firms, are not great at marketing to our existing client base and maximising the return. And yet the reality is most of those people already know, like, and trust us. They've dealt with us. We're an easy option to buy from again. We just need to keep in touch. Let's not go down that rabbit hole because that will distract us today. Yeah, but no, it's a really good, well, another great point you make, Lewis. Just changing tax slightly. Obviously, we've been through an incredibly turbulent time the last couple of years. It continues to be a changing marketplace with everything that's going on. What are the biggest challenges and opportunities you're seeing right now? So opportunities, I still think digital, although diminishingly so, and it's a more competitive marketplace. I think that the pandemic is a real wake up for a lot of, of businesses that they have to invest in this thing. It's not an option. I also think it, it was doubly the case of people, the markets have accelerated 10 years in the space of a few months. Everybody can instruct someone remotely. Everyone's used to Zoom calls. Everyone's used to, you know, you don't have to have a solicitor at the end of the road now. I know a lot of people still want a solicitor at the end of the road and someone they can pop into, but there is a big chunk of the market that if they read one of our articles online, 
about the rights of unmarried fathers and they happen to live in Liverpool, they're not worried about instructing sister down in Christchurch because, well, they're the expert. They're the people that, you know, have told me what I needed to know when I needed to know it. So digital, absolutely, for us, CRM and below the line marketing, had a huge period of growth. Lots of new people introduced to us. We need to be better at communicating with them. And there's all of the challenges around processes and CRM that we need to know now and getting good, clean data and being organised. And for me, actually, it's the, you mentioned we potentially are going into some economically choppy conditions. That, to me, is a, a, an opportunity in itself. It's the Ayrton Senna thing, isn't it? You know, you can't overtake 15 cars in the you know, bright sunshine. If there are tropic conditions, people will stop investing in marketing. People will stop spending any money or recruiting. And that's an opportunity for firms who are robust and confident and going in in good shape to potentially get more market share, to offer their clients better service, to invest further, provided they have the confidence. Yeah. So those to me are the three biggest opportunities we have. I mean, aside from, you know, we, we know there are going to be certain areas of the market that will slow down over the next six months, 12 months, 18 months. But we also know that there are areas that we've already got plenty of opportunity in. So we won't shut up shop and stop recruiting and stop trying to attract new people. We'll just make sure that the people we attract are in the areas that we really need. And I think there's an opportunity there where, you know, there may be some other businesses who who aren't trying to hold on to their staff quite as much or might be, be sort of slowing down a little. So I suppose... Yeah. Digital, CRM, choppy conditions and, and recruitment expansion, market share as a result. In terms of biggest challenges, well, CRM, shock, I think. Uh, well, why I doesn't that surprise me to hear that label? <laughs> I know, I know. So I've been talking about it for, for ages internally. We've had a lot of discussions. We're getting our data. In. I think a lot of the time, whenever we've had these conversations, I know they've been numerous and lengthy, Claire, between you <laughs> and lots of the other members. And always a delight, Lewis. Always They're a always a delight. Sorry, I'm, I'm talking about this like it's <laughs> compliance, but you know. There's opportunity there. There's frustration around not being able to get it. And quite often the conversation starts around the technology, whereas actually I think there's processes that start it and you find the technology that fits. And let's not get into all the frustrations around what sort of top technology is available out there and how you go about changing But I think we've, we know where the opportunity is. We know that we need to get the processes in place. We need to get our data clean. And that's where we are at the moment. So that's our biggest challenge over the next few months. There's obviously going to be, we're starting to see already a slight slowdown in property, residential property in particular. I, I think when we've spoken about it previously, you've mentioned that that's probably a return to normal pre-pandemic levels of instructions. By the way, they've been miles ahead and for a long period of time. So there are some challenges around that as to, as to sort of what we do in response to to a slowing market. Protecting the culture as we grow, I guess we've mentioned that, you know, adding you know, over 20 people in a year. It's a lot of new faces, making sure that, that those people are bedded in. So that's a, a specific challenge to us as opposed to law firms generally. But I know there are lots of other firms out there who have who have grown over the last few years. So that's not necessarily exclusive to us. And possibly recruitment, I guess, in certain areas. We've got, we've got two or three areas of the business that we really, really need to recruit in. And if economic times are tight or tough or choppy, people are less likely to move on. It's what we found just after the pandemic. Yeah. Lawyers by nature are, are conservative generally. So you've got to give them a good reason to want to move. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that that probably is going to be a challenge. We are, you know, we're going to be recruiting certain areas as well as it will really need to strengthen it. And we, you know, we possibly will find that more difficult if things get tighter. Yeah. 
That that's a really interesting one, actually, because there's an underlying message on 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 some of the things you've just listed, and that is there's a general feeling that people are going to sit tight, whether that is in terms of moving house. So therefore, you know, actually, I'm going to stay here, even though actually I wanted to move house next year or, you know, downsize or get a bigger house or whatever. But also from a my job perspective, my job security perspective, people are likely to think, oh, hang on, is it better the devil I know when things are uncertain? And if our clients are going to do that, so that alludes to what you were saying earlier, you know, are we going to see some law firms doing exactly the same, which is, oh, okay, we're not going to do anything too funky, too clever, too innovative. We're just going to poodle along, keep doing what we're currently doing. And yet what I'm hearing from you is actually, no, we're going to keep looking forward, looking, and you, you used that reference earlier about the importance of looking forward and having that greater confidence, the measurability thing, rather than just looking back or, or, or being frozen. Yeah, and I think that's a, that was a marked change in our, our growth or recruitment strategy probably three or four years ago, was that because we believed that the work was coming in or that we could go out and get more work in an area, yeah, um, yeah. and this ties in with the digital stuff, then instead of recruiting reactively to the point, oh my God, we've got lawyers screaming that they haven't got enough, enough resource in their department, let's go out and recruit someone and take nine months to do it. We're very much able to say, let's find people who are a good fit for us bring them in and build teams, you know, build teams after. So we don't necessarily have to be reactive. We can be proactive. I think it's something that if, and again, it's talking about the fundamentals of, of having certain building blocks in place. You've got to have the measurability and the forecast in place to allow you to make these decisions so you don't have those problems further down the line. So, a, you know, having everybody at management level understanding where you're trying to go, and this is where Matt in particular at our place, our, our managing partner is very good at communicating that stuff. Yeah. If everybody is aligned to what you're trying to achieve and you've got enough visibility, you know, we can see, we already know what we're going to be billing three, four months down the line, at least. You're then able to say, okay, we can act with a bit more confidence. And if something does come up, we're not reacting to it. We are seeing it a few months ahead and putting plans in to mitigate or, or to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. That goes back to the importance of being market driven, looking, you know, not just... absolutely sticking your head in the sand but making sure you are looking up looking around seeing what else is out there looking outside the sector looking at trends and and anticipating things and, and making the right choices which will obviously vary depending on each business so it sounds like really exciting times Lewis from from everything that you've been saying there's lots of despite there being clearly some challenges as we as we move into you know we we've got 2023 ahead of us there's clearly lots of challenges out there, but I'm hearing more positives and more opportunity than I'm hearing negatives. Yeah, I think we're, we're um, what's it, this is the term temperamentally optimistic, I guess, as a firm. I don't know where that comes from. I'm sure I've read, I don't, I haven't that, heard that, I've got a like that might have been a Barack Obama sort of biography quote, the day program, but yeah, it, it sort of stuck in that we, yeah, we, we generally are class half full, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we try to look for the positives and be proactive. Um, and that's something that I think has been in the business for a long period of time. It's, you know, I suppose business, businesses are built in the, the shape of their leadership and we've got a, a young, proactive leadership in the, in, the, in the firm, you know, a group of equity partners who have a vision and want to make changes and aren't just sitting there waiting to retire. So that's, a, that's a, I mean, all of, all of this doesn't, none of this stuff that we've done over the last few years that has all been terribly exciting and really interesting to be involved in 
And from my perspective, liberating compared to places where I've worked previously doesn't happen if you haven't got senior people in business willing to trust people and allow them to get on with stuff and make changes. I'd agree with that. It sounds like you've got the perfect environment, Lewis, for you. And, and, and you know, I can hear nothing but enthusiasm and energy for, for, for you in your role and for, for what you're doing and what Frettens is trying to achieve with you as part of the team. You made reference there to that temperamentally optimistic and it may be being a Barack Obama. Have you got any uh, books or podcasts or great things you want to share with people as top tips of things they might want to listen to or read or look at? Yeah, well, you know, I, I read a lot. I'm a bit of a yeah, bookworm. So for me, the, in terms of strategy stuff, there's a really good author that I always tend to go back to. It's the book that's got the broken spines and the notes are written all over it. A guy called Richard, I never knew how to pronounce it, Rummelt or Rumelt. I'm guessing Rumelt, but that could be terribly wrong. Doing a, a, a very smart guy, a terrible disservice there. Are you spelling it just in case uh, anyone... R-U-M-E-L-T. Okay. Um, good strategy, bad strategy. And then there was a follow-up to that that was released this year called The Crux... Both of them are excellent in understanding what strategy is, I, not a list of tasks. Yeah. Very, very good read. Other stuff, I suppose, I really like from a marketing perspective, I really like all the stuff around sort of nudge politics and, and sort of choice architecture. So I just read a really good book by Michael Lewis called The Undoing Project, which is kind of the start of all of this stuff. But good reads, uh, Thaler and Sunstein's Nudge or Inside the Nudge Unit. And I think there's a shorter book that we've, got on the desk in the marketing office called The Choice Factory, which is recommended by to me by, I think, someone in the Northern Marketing Club, actually. I think it was. I remember hearing that. Yeah. yeah. And there's another book that follows on from that, Alchemy, The Power of Ideas That Don't Make Sense. We've spoken about this a lot before anyway. This is the, the sort of Red Bull Coke story yeah. that it starts out with, which, which is a really good read. All of those things are quite weighty, apart from The Choice Factory, actually, and can be a bit dense. So I suppose for one, if you do ask for one, and I've just rattled off loads the one i'm glad i'm scribbling i'm glad i can listen back to this and make sure I get <laughs> them. my one favorite thing is mark ritson's weekly column for marketing week i yeah. think if you, read, if you read that every week and you do it for a year i've just said that to our, our latest uh, digital marketing apprentice it's like just go back and read the old ones and then every week if you read that for a year you're going to be absolutely fine to me if you read it grounding you'll laugh a bit it's quite sweary it's quite funny yeah it kind of fits us pretty well so yeah, that would be my number one. You're going to grow and learn and laugh a bit and have a bit of humour. Yeah. As you say, he's not afraid to use four-letter words in, in getting his point across. I've managed not to do once in this whole conversation so far, Claire, which I'm absolutely flabbergasted <laughs> at. <laughs> well, well done. And I didn't even do the BBC warning at the beginning to say, you know, to say, be careful. Right. No swearing, no, no, whatever. Swear job at home is clearly working. Yeah, thanks for sharing all of those suggestions on books and so on. And uh, that'll make some great holiday reading for people as they go into Easter or summer, depending on when they listen to this. Uh, But The Choice Factory, I think, was the one you picked out as the relatively easier read of them all. Um, yeah, so, yeah. yeah and then some others that that get you a, well look, we'd like i don't know about you but i like a mix i like something a little bit heavy that i can get stuck into but i also want something i can kind of get through quite quickly and benefit from and i think the mark ritson weekly column is a great shout and doesn't take up too much time but absolutely That's helps brilliant. you grow lewis it's been absolutely fabulous chatting to you there's a million more things we could talk about what is very clear to me is that Fretons has got a very joined up, positive approach to how it is going about 
running itself as a business, it sounds like it's got a respectful approach to everybody that's part of it, that you as a relatively newcomer to the legal sector, having a background elsewhere, uh, are making a positive difference. And there's some real things we can take away there for, for everybody in terms of the role of the marketing within the broader firm, the importance of some simple approaches to how we get buy-in, how digital can become an integrated part of the wider firm, and that commercial input when we're looking at marketing in the broadest sense. So, so many great takeaways. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Claire. Really enjoyed it. Not at all. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the latest Law Firm Marketing Club podcast dedicated to helping professional services firms do better marketing. If you found this podcast useful, please do rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to share your learnings, comments and thoughts on LinkedIn, tagging the Law Firm Marketing Club and Claire Fanner. Thank you.